0: So, our title today is uh, Jesus and the Storm. And, um, of course, that's the story. And Mark records this story for us here about this this sudden storm that came down upon Jesus and the disciples. Uh, Remember that mark is peter's stenographer we we talked about this previously where um mark was the one who dictated the gospel that peter communicated to him so this is a first-hand account peter was there and he's communicating that to mark and uh, of course, not only was Peter there, Peter lived there. This was Peter's life. Peter was a fisherman on this very sea. So when we you know think about those components, it becomes quite interesting because we're getting that, that first hand perspective. Now the story records the events surrounding this literal storm. But there's something behind this message that, that goes beyond just, just those immediate events and speaks to us today. And, and that is quite often the case with Scripture. You know, much of the Bible is um, historical narrative. Much of the Bible is just history telling us about things that happen. But, of course, it's not written just so we could have a record of the past. It is written to teach us things today and, and of course, every generation of Christians. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, Paul, on two occasions, he states that in his writings. He said uh, to the Corinthians, he said the things that happened to the children of Israel happened as examples to us that we could learn. And then in writing to the church in Rome, he said, the things that were written before were written for our learning. And so as we look at the story, um, beside the, the, the record of the literal historical event, uh, there's a message that is intended to teach us about who Jesus is and what we can expect him to do when we find ourselves caught uh, you know, not necessarily in a literal storm, but um, in uh, uh, the storms of life that we all will pass through at some time or another. So we're, we're going to come to that in just a moment. But before we go there, I want to just uh, look at a couple of things. Number one, it's I always like to... Um, when the opportunity arises to slip in something that's a bit apologetic. Apologetic in the sense that, you know, something that will uh, help us fend off the skepticism that we so often find when it comes to Scripture. You know, we live in a time, of course, where there's um, much skepticism regarding the Bible. And, uh, you know, many people, of course, in the culture would say, Oh, you know, the Bible is just mythology. It, you know, was written by men. It can't, it can't be trusted as any kind of a um, serious guide for life, things like that. And, and yet, interestingly, um, you know, sometimes the incidental things in a text, uh, those incidental things are really. An argument for the truthfulness of what is being declared. And and scholars have recognized this to be the case. So in the story we read, Mark tells us a a couple of things that it just seemed like, you know, okay, why did you say that? Um, For example, in the story, we read that uh, when when they set out to cross the lake, um, that there were other little boats also that set out to cross the lake. And then we're also told uh, that as they were crossing, Jesus uh, fell asleep in the stern of the boat. Now, if you think about it, those do not do anything to uh, enhance the storyline or to develop characters. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're sort of, like I said, they're sort of just these incidental comments. It's like, uh, why bother? Now, fiction writers today will often do these kinds of things because they're trying to make their fiction like nonfiction. But in the ancient world, they didn't do that. In the ancient world... Uh, they would not include these incidental things. And so the fact that they're there, it really just supports that these were the, the true, um, you know, remembrances of the people who participated in the event. And in other words, they didn't make these things up. If they were making up a story, they wouldn't have put this in it. Doesn't really add to the story. So just these incidental things, and this is just one example. You can find many places in the Gospels where you think if, now if somebody sat down to write uh, something that they were trying to convince people that they ought to believe, but it was really just a myth, there are so many things that don't make sense if that was the intention. And it's these incidental kinds of things. So that's just, just another thing, you know, since we live in such a, a culture of skepticism, I think it's good to have as much as we can have in our arsenal, if you will, as we have these opportunities sometimes to respond to people's criticisms and their skepticisms and so forth. So so just keep that in mind and even think about that as you're reading through the biblical passages. Um, Again, if, if these things didn't really happen, it doesn't make sense that they were put there. So that's one thing that I wanted us to see before we jump into looking at the, the main point of the, the message today. But the second thing um, has to do with just some details about the Sea of Galilee. Now, now once again, in our skeptical environment, uh, people have read this story and said, you know, this has got to be... A myth because there's no way a storm like this could have taken place on the Sea of Galilee because the Sea of Galilee is really a lake, more than a sea. Now it's it's funny because um, you know different different people and you know in different geographical regions will refer to bodies of water in different ways. Now I, I think most Americans looking at the Sea of Galilee, we would easily agree that, well, well this is actually a lake. Um, you know, in Britain, it's funny because uh, the, the British, when they're referring to the ocean, they don't really say the ocean, they say the sea. And you, you could say the ocean, technically it is the ocean, but nobody says we're going to the ocean. Everybody says we're going to the sea. In some places in Europe... When, when you have what is obviously a lake, guess what they call it? They call it a sea. So every summer we go to Milstadt, Austria, and there is a lake there, but it's called Millstatter Sea. You see, they call it a sea. But this really is a, a lake as, as far as we would be concerned. So this Sea of Galilee, the, this lake, it's, it's actually in one place in scripture, it's called the Lake of Gennesaret. It is about um, eight miles across at its widest point, and it's 13 miles long. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a tiny lake, but it's not a a, a huge lake either. You know, it's a good-sized body of water. An interesting thing about this body of water is that this is... um, the lowest freshwater body on the earth, uh, the Sea of Galilee, is seven hundred feet below sea level. It's the lowest fresh uh, body of water on the earth. Uh, the only thing lower is the Dead Sea, which is about twice that fourteen hundred and twelve feet below sea level. And of course, the Dead uh, the Sea of Galilee through the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. So it's, it's at this extremely low elevation. And because it's 700 feet below sea level and because of the surrounding uh, mountainous area there and because it's in the Jordan Valley Rift, there are times when you will have hurricane force winds that come through there. So again, normally, you know, most people thinking of a lake, unless you're thinking of the Great Lakes, um, would think like, you know, how could you have a storm on a lake that seasoned fishermen, people who have spent their entire life on this lake, how could you have a storm that would would frighten these guys to the extent that they thought they were going to perish? Well, if you understand all of that... (laughs) topography that I just mentioned there, you understand that what can happen is that suddenly these winds can come and stir that sea up before you know it. In uh, the early 1990s, we were in Israel and um, we were, you know, on our trips to Israel, we always spend time in the Galilee and generally, at least every time since uh, every time I've been there since the early '90s, you know, it's it's generally smooth sailing. It's very glassy. It's great. You just get out there, and you know, we always take a little bit of a boat cruise, and we go out and we worship and stuff. And it's always just very very calm and nice. And uh, by the way, you can join us on our Israel trip if you would like to have that experience. But but we were there in the '90s. The early 90s and a big storm came through and we were not able to go to the Galilee and do what we normally did because there were um, waves that were three meters high. And people were being evacuated all around the shore. Now, a three-meter high wave is about a nine-foot wave, nine to 10-foot wave. Those are some serious waves, nine to 10-foot waves. And I remember hearing that on the the weather report in Israel when we were there. And man, I thought, I want to get to the Sea of Galilee, not because I wanted to go surf the Sea of Galilee, nine-foot waves. I just wanted to see it. It just seemed like, wow, this is like one of those things that happened there in the stories in the gospel. We did have one occasion where we were actually crossing over the sea, and it was a pretty good, strong windstorm that came up. But we were in a a, a vessel that was probably about 80 to 100 feet, and there were you know, quite a few folks in it. Uh, but I remember even crossing at that point, you know, we were we were getting some good uh, kind of crashing into, you know, some of the waves crashing over the front of the boat and all that. So all of that to say, once again, even though the skeptics would say, oh, that, that never could have happened. I mean, come on, have you seen that thing? That's a lake. There's no boat that's ever gonna be in danger of, of sinking on a body of water like that. Well, if you know the facts behind the topography and so forth, you know that it's not only could have happened, it still happens today. So with that in mind, let's just consider now the story. So take note of this because we're gonna come back to this in a moment. Um, When evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And so they had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were there with them also. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, remember, the men in this boat, at least half of them, we don't know if, if all 12 were in the boat at this point, uh, but let's just say they were, um, At least half of these men in this boat, they were seasoned fishermen who had grown up on this very body of water. This was their life. Peter, James, John, Andrew, uh, Philip. These guys, this, this was their life. So they had seemingly seen it all but but this was something that was beyond anything they had ever seen anything they had ever experienced and they were they were fearful for their lives at this point so this is a deadly and a terrifying storm that they find themselves in now that was then and so today of course we just as we journey through life, even as Christians, we can find that life um, will be met with storms at times. You know, Christians are not exempt from trouble. Jesus made that clear. He said, in the world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, that's what Jesus said. And of course, as you follow the life and ministry, if you will, of those early followers of Jesus through um, the book of Acts or into the early history of the church or all the way through down to today, you find that this is indeed a fact. God's people are not exempt from trouble. We have things that come our way uh, just like everybody else. We have health problems like other people do. Uh, we have family crisis. We have financial challenges and difficulties. Uh, these are all things that are part of life. You know, of course, we've, we've had these fires here. And, um, you know, many Christians have lost their homes in these fires. We have some, some personal friends who uh, have, have lost their homes. My son, uh, who pastors up in Sonoma County? Uh, you know they were in the first wave of these fires back last year, and just like in the um, the fire up north today, what they call the Camp Fire, um, thousands of homes have burned to the ground. That was the case in Sonoma County as well, and um, about six people from their congregation, their families were directly affected by the fire. So this happens to Christians. Uh, Christians' houses burn down sometimes. Uh, in, in the shootings that we've had. You know, Christians have died in, in these shootings. And, and of course, with just sickness, you know, cancer and things of that nature, we're not exempt from those things, right? We're not. Those Those are storms. And we all, at some time or another, will face some of these different storms. Not only... Are we not exempted by God from storms? Sometimes he actually leads us into them. And that's really what we see here in the passage. Because remember what it says, Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. Now, I believe that Jesus knew full well what awaited them once they got out on the sea. Uh, Jesus, of course, is a man, but he's also God. He has um, knowledge of things that are going to happen. And and I don't think it was any surprise to Jesus that they suddenly found themselves in this storm. I think it was very intentional on his part to to set out on this uh, journey across the sea, knowing that this was going to overtake them. And the point is, God Himself will at times lead us into the storm. Now, when that happens, of course, the first thing we think is well, the last thing we think is God's leading us into the storm. We think somehow God's abandoned us. We think somehow God doesn't care for us. And like the disciples themselves, they said, "Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die?" And sometimes we think that, right? We rarely ever think, well, the Lord has led me into this for a bigger purpose, for a good reason. But as we go on with the story, uh, we will see that that is indeed the case. Sometimes the Lord leads us into Storms, and we'll come back in a moment and look at why he might do that. But look with me for a moment also at the disciples themselves and the, their reaction to this, and then um, the response of Jesus to them. So Jesus, as you know, as we read here, he's uh, in the stern, he's asleep on a pillow. They woke him and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" And he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and Be uh, peace be still the wind ceased and there was a great calm but he said to them why are you so fearful how is it that you have no faith now i I love the way jesus responded to him here because you know i don't think jesus was necessarily scolding them at this point i think he was really more like saying like come on what's the matter with you guys i'm here i'm in the boat it's me in other words, it's like, how come you're not trusting me? Why, why are you so afraid? I'm, I'm with you. But they were indeed fearful, and obviously, their faith was weak. And, and, you know, think about it. They had already seen Jesus do so many extraordinary things. They had seen Jesus do things that no human being had ever done. And they were in the process of, of really you know embracing his messiahship but but obviously they still did not get it and then as we see as Jesus does deal with the situation it says and they feared exceedingly so they were more afraid of Jesus in the end than they were of the storm. Interesting. But that's actually a good place to be. The Bible says to fear God. And when the Bible talks about fearing God, it's talking about having this, this just healthy reverence for, for the greatness of who God is. But we'll come back to that. Look with me at Jesus. So We see Jesus in the story, and the first thing we see here is that he is asleep. I mean, these guys are thinking that the ship's going down, we're all going to die, and Jesus is asleep. How does that work? Uh, Jesus might have been really tired. He probably was. He was the one that did all the work. Um, But I think the other thing is that Jesus was just resting and confident in the Father's plan and purpose that, that even though this storm has come, he knows that God's got a plan and, and this storm is not going to be the end of the story. So he's resting. He he's trusting. He's doing the thing that if they really understood who he was, he's doing the thing that they could have done as well. They could have just taken a nap and figured, Oh, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. So that's the first thing Jesus is doing. But the second thing, notice, it says that he, when they awoke him, it says he rebuked the wind and the sea. He said, peace be still and a great calm immediately descended on the lake. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is really showing his true identity, He's revealing to them through this act his his divinity. You know, in the in the ancient world, the ancients believed that the sea was untamable, except by God. Now we know today the sea is untamable; <laughs> nobody can tame the sea, right? Uh, we live in a more uh, scientific kind of an age, I guess, where people wouldn't even consider that God could tame the sea, uh, but the sea's still the same if you've been ever been out in a rough sea you know it is it's pretty scary and you know that there's not any there's not anybody that is going to deal with that and so the ancients had the right understanding only god can deal with this so as jesus does this very thing as jesus deals with this they would see in him that divinity. So he's, he's revealing that here, but I want you to see what Jesus does. He, first of all, he says to the wind, peace be still. So the wind stops, but then immediately there is a great calm that comes upon the sea. Now, if you know anything about waves and the surf and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the wind is what causes waves to kick up and, you know, sometimes it's the winds really, really far away. That's creating swells that make their way to the shore and bless surfers <laughs> for the joy of riding those waves. Um, but you know what can happen is the, you know, the, wind, the wind can blow really hard. The wind generally dies down in the evenings, but sometimes it'll blow um, you know even late into the night. And when it does that, if you've had a really uh, stormy sea, even though the wind has stopped maybe hours earlier, the sea doesn't really um, settle and calm down um You know it, it, immediately, sometimes it, it takes quite a while, so being a surfer, i've had those times where um, you know the wind would be blowing hard one day and it would blow into the evening, but you're you're hopeful that, okay, the next morning it's gonna be smooth, it's gonna be glassy, it's gonna be good, and you go down and you see it's all stormy and bumpy, and you're like, oh, man, what? You know, the, so the wind died down, but the sea was still stirred up. In the case with Jesus, and when you think about what the sea must have looked like for these guys to think that their, their boat's gonna go under, and by the way, the boat um, that they were in was probably at least 30 feet long you know, some years ago they discovered in Israel at at the sea of Galilee, they, they discovered what is called the Jesus boat. And you can, you can go to YouTube and you can just type in the Jesus boat. You can, you can see it, or you can come with us on the trip and you can see it (laughs) firsthand (laughs) because we always see it, but, but it's this boat that they discovered at one point, the, the, um, you know, the the water level in in the lake went down considerably and suddenly there emerged uh, from out of the mud this thing, nobody knew what it was at first but they discovered it's a first century fishing boat and it's called the Jesus boat. Of course, it didn't belong to Jesus but it's called the Jesus boat because it's a boat that came from that time. So, you know, this is like a, you know, at least a 30 foot boat about seven and a half feet wide, about four feet high. So, you know, it's a boat that, that's not easily going to be sinking, but nevertheless, for them, you know, they're sure that, it, that, it, that it's going to sink. But what Jesus does here, back to my point, what Jesus does here is he doesn't just stop the wind, but he brings an immediate calm to the sea. So it wasn't just simply the wind stopped and then you know a couple hours later, everything was smooth again. No, it was the wind stopped and everything became sheet glass. You ever see the surface of, a, of the water? We call it glassy because it's like glass. You can like see your face in it. Um, that's, that's what happened. So there's a great calm. And as a result of this, these guys were suddenly more fearful of Jesus than they were of the storm and they said who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him so you know they they thought they knew who he was but they really didn't know who he was but they were beginning to realize who he was at <clears throat> this point and and listen <clears throat> Like I said, we all go through storms. And the important thing in the storm is to remember who Jesus is. That he has the power to calm the storm in a second. He has that power. And so like he said to them, why are you afraid? You know, when we are afraid, and and we all get afraid when we go into storms, I wish I could say that I am totally fearless entering into a storm, but I'm not. Even though I've been in a lot of storms, (laughs) even though the Lord has met me in many of those storms, even though he's brought me through lots of storms. Oh, whenever a storm starts brewing, I'm like, oh no. But I have to refocus. I have to go back and remember, wait a second. Jesus is in the boat he, he's just like he was there on the Sea of Galilee. He's with me now. And just like he could speak to the wind and he could immediately calm the sea, he can and he will do those things for us. But I wanna take us back to the question that we sort of left off on a moment ago. And as we were saying that not only does God uh, not exempt us from storms, that there are times when God will actually lead us into the storms, as we saw with Jesus. Let us go to the other side. The question is, well, why? Why would God do that? And you know, this is the big question that people have today about so much of, you know, what what's happening in the world. Uh, the big question in the skeptics and the critics and the you know the the atheists and the agnostics and all. You know, it, it always comes down to this: well, why? I listened to a debate the other day between uh, my friend Andy Bannister and uh, a man named Peter Singer, who is the the chair of ethics at Princeton University. And, you know, here's this brilliant mind, apparently, you know, PhD and writes a lot of books and everybody listens to him and thinks he knows a lot of stuff. And, you know, he probably does know a lot of stuff, but what he doesn't know is the most important stuff. And, and, but my point is this, you know, sometimes you you think that these guys, you know, and Richard Dawkins would be another person in that category. Many others like him, you know, you think that they, they must have these like amazingly powerful arguments that sustain their atheism and influence other people. But when you listen to their arguments, it's like their arguments really boil down to this one simple thing. Why would God allow something like this? And since I don't understand why God would allow something like this, I'm not going to believe in that God. If you say that that God allows it, then I'm not going to have anything to do with this. It's not a scientific argument. It's not even a good philosophical argument. It's just a personal. If that's who God is, I don't like that. If God allows storms in people's lives, I don't like a God like that. I want a God who doesn't allow storms in people's lives. So why does God allow things? Well, Storms actually teach us things that we would not learn otherwise. You know, I would prefer to never be in a storm. But you learn a lot of things in a storm. I would prefer to never have a ripple in the water. I just like smooth sailing. But you know, if I only lived a life that was smooth sailing... Uh, I wouldn't be much help to any of you because you're passing through storms. You might come to me and say, you know, Pastor Brian, I'm going through a storm and man, this is horrible and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, gee, I don't know what to tell you. I've never been through a storm myself. Good luck. Happy sailing. I hope it calms down sometime. But you know, I actually have been through some storms. (laughs) So I can say, well, let me tell you what the Lord did for me in my storm. And That can be an encouragement to you, so I would prefer not to do that, but you know god God's got a plan, and He knows what we need and and the storm will teach us things that we need to know. Number one, the storm teaches us things about ourselves. It teaches us first of all how fragile we, re- we really are you know we a lot of times, you know, we, we kind of just think ourselves invincible. We, you know, you, you listen to some people today and you, you think, man, wow. You know, the arrogance and the, the, the seeming invincibility of, of that person. And I often think of how just, you know, a microscopic little thing, you know, a, a little virus that you can't even see, get, get, take you out in a heartbeat, t- t- take you out in a second. But we have this, this invincible sort of idea that, you know, not, nothing can affect us. But a storm, man, it just shows you real quickly. I would imagine that these guys I would imagine that just naturally they were pretty confident when it came to the sea. Now, Jesus wasn't himself a sailor, but they were. Jesus, of course, was a carpenter. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which is on the other side of Galilee. These guys grew up right on the sea. They'd been on the sea their whole lives. I would imagine that they were probably a little bit self-confident about the sea but man, they learned really quick how fragile they really were. So that'll happen. We'll we'll learn our our fragility. Uh, We'll learn how ignorant we are. Again, we tend to think we know a lot of things. And sometimes we do know a lot of things. But we will find ourselves in a storm. We will find ourselves in circumstances that are so beyond us. They're just completely perplexing. We, don't, we really don't know how to handle this. We don't know how to navigate this. And I thought I was so smart and I thought I knew it all and had it all together and could figure it all out. And suddenly I find, I don't, I don't know anything. This storm is beyond me. And we also discover how powerless we are. You know, you th- I, I, I think of, you know, people who are, you know, people who are wealthy, behind that wealth is a certain amount of power. And they put a lot of confidence in that wealth and, and in the power that has come from it. But, you know, many people discover in certain circumstances In many storms of life, that power does nothing. That power can't change a thing. You might have all of that power. You might be a person of tremendous influence and authority. And, you know, you might have, uh, you know, hundreds of people that just, you know, when you snap your fingers, they jump, but you, you find yourself in a situation where you have no power. That's what a storm does. A storm teaches us about ourselves, but the storm also teaches us about God. Because you see, it's during the storms that because we realize how helpless we are, we look beyond ourselves. We start to look to God. And then we find that God actually exists and God actually has power. And that's the first thing that we see that God has power there's no storm that he can't calm and Jesus is doing this literally physically to teach us the lesson that even in the most intense storm the storm that has frightened these seasoned sailors to the point that they think they're going to die just take that and transfer it over to anything that you might go through Uh, the lesson is God has power to subdue all of that. God has power to bring peace and to calm the whole situation. We learn that about God in the storm. We learn that not only is God powerful, but when we recognize the power of God, we also then understand the wisdom of God because no one could have the power that God has without also having the wisdom. You know, when when I think of the demonstration of God's power in creation... you know when you when you really start to look at at just the created order when you start to look whether you want to look at the the micro universe or the macro universe you know you want to get out a, a, a microscope and you know look at the, look at the details of things that we can't see and the complexity or you want to get the you know the hubble telescope and you want to look out at the you know the expanse of the universe what, whatever thing you look at um Not only do you realize the power of God, but you realize the wisdom of God. Man, what kind of wisdom made this and orders this and it controls it? So when I recognize the the wisdom of God along with the power of God, then I start to think, well, maybe God knows what he's doing after all. And maybe being in this storm isn't, what I thought it was, my demise. Maybe it's through this storm that I'm actually going to have a greater experience with God. That is what the storms will do. And they will also, thirdly, show us the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Jesus rebukes these guys. He says, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? What, Well, where was their faith supposed to be? Well, it should have been in Him, but it could have also been in His Word because Jesus said, Let's go to the other side. Jesus didn't say, Let's go out in the lake and die. He said, Let's go to the other side. And listen, God is faithful. And all of us need to learn the lesson that when God speaks, we take it to heart and we trust because God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, I, I have to tell you something personal. So write this today. My daughter is going through a really difficult time. And uh, she, she's, her health is good, all of that. It's, it's, a different, it's a different kind of a problem, but her marriage is good too. Her kids are good, (laughs) but she's going through a struggle. And Cheryl and I, of course, you know, this is our daughter. We love her. And, you know, parents, you want to come to the rescue. You want to deliver her from that situation. Uh, And and a lot of it's happening, I mean, even as we speak. So we're, you know, getting texts and conversations on the way to church this morning. And I seriously got up here first service. I was so preoccupied with what she's going through it was difficult for me to even start the message. But then as I began to share the message, I began to feel like, oh yeah, like this is a storm, right? And we're in the middle of it and she's in the middle of it. And, you know, I want to rescue her. She's my daughter. I want to just go and just extract her from that situation. And I want to slap around those people that are giving her a hard time. And, you know, that's what I want to do. And Cheryl wants to do that too. <laughs> so she was telling me after the message this morning, she goes, man, were you preaching to me today? Or she said, you're preaching to us. Yes, I am preaching right to our own situation. But, um, but anyway, as I'm, you know, as I'm um, thinking about, about all of this, it's like the Lord saying to me, because you know, as the father, I'm, I wanna take it all on myself. The Lord's saying, Brian, this is, this is everything you're talking about. This is a storm that she's going through, but she's not gonna sink. I'm with her. And just like I've proven myself to you over and over and over again throughout your life, I gotta prove myself to them too. You know, how many of you have kids in the room? you know, I often think about this. I think, I mean, seriously, I've been through some really tough things in my life. And, and I know that those things have actually forged much of who I am as a person and as a Christian and as a pastor. But you know, when I think about my kids going through anything remotely similar, I'm like, Oh no, no, don't, don't, don't let that happen. I mean, oh my gosh, what would, what would they do if they went through the stuff I went through? But then the Lord's like, well, didn't I get you through it? Yes. Okay. Trust me. Look, Jesus said, let us go to the other side and God is faithful and God's never let anyone down. Never, ever. Now, Sometimes we feel like God let us down because we thought that God should do something a certain way, and he didn't do it. I spoke to a lady just a couple of days ago that with that very thing. She said, why did God allow this to happen like this? Because, it, and she said this, she said, you know, it was the perfect opportunity for God to do this thing that, and, and, and no, he didn't do it. It's like, God missed the opportunity. And now this is, I mean, that's what she was implying. And it sounded like a very serious situation. And I got it. Because, you know, there've been times when I felt the exact same way. You think, well, Lord, this is what you do in this circumstance. And the Lord's like, no, we're, no, we're not actually gonna do that. But I said to her, when she asked me that question, I said, listen, two things. Number one, it's not over yet. See, you think it's over because God didn't do things the way you thought he should do it. And so as far as you're concerned, it's like, wow, this, you know, it's over. God had his moment. The opportunity was right there. God should have done this, but he didn't do it. But I said, listen, it's not over. So secondly, don't stop praying and trusting. Don't stop praying and trusting because you think God missed the moment? Because remember, the God who created everything is not only all-powerful, he's all-wise. He knows what he's doing. And so God is faithful, that's what we learn. And then finally, the final thing that we learn when God leads us into a storm is, you know, we learn what really matters. This is what happens. You know, a storm puts everything back into perspective because we can get things so out of perspective, right? And we can get our priorities all mixed up. And a storm will come along and man, it'll just set everything right. I can't think of, I mean, I can't, um, tell you how many times I've seen this happen where, you know, Christians, you get, you get your priorities all out of whack. And, you know, where the Lord was first and people were seeking God and following, then, you know, the cares of life come in and, you know, we want to do this and we got to do that. And, 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 you know, pretty soon everything's so, um, out of order. And suddenly the storm hits and what does it do? It just brings everything right back into focus. It's like, oh my gosh, what are we doing focusing on that thing? Anyway, we need to get our focus back on the Lord. God, forgive us. And, you know, it just, it sorts things out. That's what happens. What what happens in a storm is I begin to realize, you know, a lot of things don't matter like I thought they did. Boy, I think of the folks that lost their homes in these fires. And, you know, I would imagine for probably almost everyone, believer or unbeliever, I would imagine almost everyone's probably thinking, well, you know, a lot of that stuff didn't matter. A lot of that stuff that we were really hoping in and that we were putting our trust in and we were planning on, and now it's gone. It has literally gone up and spoke. It's, it's nothing but a pile of ashes. Man, that'll get your priorities Sorted out, but that's what happens, and that is why God will, at times, not just allow us to go into a storm, He will direct us into one to get our priorities sorted, to get our perspective back where it should be, and so. Listen closely. Don't be afraid. The same Jesus that was in that boat is with you, and he's with me. And he's the one who has the power to say to the wind, be still. And to the sea, be calm. And, and he knows the right moment when that needs to be done. And, and for you, maybe today you feel like he must be asleep in the boat or maybe he's not even in the boat. Maybe he doesn't even know that I'm in the boat and I'm sinking. No, he knows. He knows all of that. But in his great wisdom and love, he also knows when to speak peace to the situation. But for now, like he said to them why are you afraid he he's with he's with us in the storm and he wants us to rest in that just as he was resting in the boat then now one final thing and this we're going to take a bit of a different turn here as we close today um There's an interesting parallel between the story that we read here and another story in the Bible, and I'm going to read to you uh, a portion from a book written by um, Timothy Keller. I've quoted Timothy Keller many times uh, in his his study through the Gospel of Mark. Um, he does this interesting he he brings out this interesting parallel between the story that we have here and the story of Jonah. And I want to kind of tie it all together with this. So let me read this to you. He said this, he said Mark has deliberately laid out this account using language that is parallel, almost identical To the language of the famous old testament account of jonah both jesus and jonah were in a boat and both boats were overtaken by a storm the descriptions are almost identical both jesus and jonah were asleep in both stories the sailors woke up the sleeper and said we're going to die And in both cases, there was a miraculous divine intervention and the sea was calm. Further, in both stories, the sailors then became even more terrified than they were before the storm was calmed. Two almost identical stories with just one difference. In the midst of the storm, Jonah said to the sailors, in effect, there's only one thing to do. If I perish, you survive. If I die, you will live. And they threw him into the sea, which doesn't happen in Mark's story, or does it? I think Mark's showing that the stories aren't different when you stand back a bit and look at them with the rest of the story of Jesus in view. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says one that is One greater than Jonah is here, and he's referring to himself. He would say, I am the true Jonah. He meant this. Someday, I'm going to calm all storms, still all waves. I'm going to destroy destruction, break brokenness, and kill death. How can he do that? He can do it only because when he was on the cross, he was thrown willingly, like Jonah, into the ultimate storm, under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death, Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe God for our wrongdoing. The storm wasn't calmed until it swept him away. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the great storm, the greatest storm, the storm of God's judgment against sin, Jesus calmed that storm by, as Keller said, metaphorically being cast into the sea of judgment. And he did that because he loved us, and because he demonstrated his love by allowing himself to be cast into that storm of death. We can have every bit of confidence that having done that for us, everything else is already covered. It's already taken care of. And so maybe like the disciples, uh, you find yourself in a storm today. Well, take heart, be of good cheer because the Lord has calmed the storm and just trust him. It's, it's, it's simple in one sense. It's hard in another. It's hard because we always come to the, but what if this and what if that? And I don't understand, you know, and there's just a point where you just say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. And when you do that, that in and of itself will calm the storm. You know, maybe you're with us today and maybe you're not following Christ, but it's a storm that has brought you here today. You know, that will happen. When you're going through a storm, you're looking for an answer. You're looking for deliverance. And, you know, thank God a lot of people get washed up on the beach of Calvary (laughs) or some other church. And you find yourself here, and it's not where you planned on being. Of course, the storm is not where you planned on being, but that's where you're at. And so the storm has brought you here today and, and the storm has brought you here so you could call upon the one who went into God's storm or into the storm of God's judgment and bore your sins so you could be forgiven and delivered. And, and you're here today to know that God himself he loves you and he's got a plan for you and it's not that you should perish in the storm but that you should be delivered from your sin and that he would begin to work in your current situation to bring that peace and that calm that he has in store for you and so if that's you today just today's the day to receive that that hand, you know, when um, and you think think of you know somebody that's out in, in a stormy water, you know, somebody gets washed down a river, or somebody's out in a lake, or, or out in the sea, or whatever. You know, what what do we throw to them? We throw to them a lifesaver. Well, Jesus is that lifesaver. God's thrown out to us the gospel, and all we do is just grab on. And that's it. And so today, just grab on to the Savior. Just say, I need to be saved. And Jesus will save you. And he will calm the storm. He calmed the ultimate storm like we just read. But he will calm the current one as well in his time. And you can rest in that. So, Lord, we thank you that this is true for us today. Just like you calmed that literal storm, you took those waves driven by that hurricane force wind, and you just made the whole thing sheet glass. We thank you that you're able to do that for us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak that to each and every heart that needs to be calm today in Jesus name. Amen.